Well, first of all, um, uh, it's uh, it's our Saturday uh, feature by Track Ruts, uh, and you know I think there's going to be some uh, supporting fire coming my way soon. But you know, this is Angry Ants. You can call me Will. Um, uh, and uh, this 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 couple hours is meant to really try and give everybody a, a, a true basic understanding of uh, the vehicles, a, a better understanding of the vehicles um, and equipment that you know our countries are helping send to Ukraine to defend their their sovereignty and their country. Um, we want to kind of explain basic tactics and, and understanding um, because we really learned that there's a lot of people talking about very specific things and at the highest level on the military term because some folks are very high level military. But there's a lot of people who just really care and they want to know a little bit more and they want to be able to take that information and use it uh, to engage their communities, their friends, uh, their social media accounts um, to help counteract any kind of propaganda or misinformation from Russia by, by telling the true story of, of, the, of the heroic fight that's happening right now. And especially how, you know, um, our countries have stepped up to, uh, to to support, not as perfectly as we've wanted, um, not, um, but but this isn't the place to, to argue about perfect. We're going to talk about what uh, Ukraine has on their hands to, to, to right now defend the front lines and hopefully what's coming um, in the future. Uh, both uh, when when it comes to uh, equipment, but also newly trained soldiers, um, and that's a, a key part to any type of uh, offense that's going to have to happen, or you know, critical defense uh, that could could possibly happen. Um, just to let everybody know, you can go to my timeline. There's a pinned tweet. Uh, there's uh, about three threads um, that will go through this. Uh, th these are always a great place to reference back, and it's easy for us to kind of send people to that. And I'll try and. Uh, Get those up in the nest here in a second for people to be able to to get to. Um, I'm not exactly sure how to do that, but it's a good visual aid. Um, and again, what we want to make sure this is not a place that we're just going to, you know, glorify war and glorify vehicles and get excited because people we will get a little excited about these things. These, these things, most of us have had very personal experience with with these equip this equipment and these tactics, and we know what it's going to do for Ukraine, and that's why. You know, it, it's important to always remember that, you know, this is this is really about um, the Ukrainian people and doing everything we can um, from educating ourselves to then using that education to to try and help mobilize and support the Ukrainian people in whatever country you're at. Um, so uh, with that, um, welcome for for a couple hours of, of, of combat arms and, uh, you know, combat vehicle talk. Um, so I guess what we'll, we'll start with is some of the breaking news uh, that kind of came out yesterday, which was really exciting. But over the last few, um, uh, th this, this conversation started about uh, six weeks ago when General Milley, the last, uh, the Rammstein before last, uh, visited uh, Grafenbeer in Germany. And he, he was, for the first time, uh, let a lot of information um, uh, out so we could glean kind of a better understanding of what was happening. And, and he was very specific about the urgency, the timing. Um, and, and what these soldiers would be doing. And, and it was very specific that, that they were going to be learning combined arms, battalion size uh, training. Uh, Grafenbeer is a great place for that. Um, they would start off with, with basic soldiering skills all the way up to high-level maneuver warfare, force-on-force uh, -force action, etc. Um, his goal was to have this done so that, that, that these forces could use NATO vehicles that are being donated in a spring offensive. And that's what they talked about. Um, the, the main, uh, he also said that it was, it's a, it's a combined arms training. It's not just Bradley's it's artillery. It's also, uh, 
other other vehicles that NATO the NATO coalition has had given. So with that, when you when you start to look at uh, there's the the slideshows that we have um, the the basic uh, the most the only really the smallest logical logical size uh, combined arms unit would be about a battalion size unit. Um, and I really think that a, a brigade, but we'll, we'll look to battalion. And that was kind of the first thing we looked at. Uh, a battalion is big enough that you can kind of self, uh, self-control the, uh, the supply chain to it. Uh, it's big enough to, to pack a big punch. And when it's combined with other battalions um, of different types on the left and right of it, um, it, it's a key part to what's called brigade combat teams, a, a way to put a lot of different vehicles a lot of different technology, a lot of different, um, you know, combining all of these parts together uh, under, you know, brigade or division commands where you can uh, really control a, a complete area, whether on the defensive side of things, but more importantly, um, on a counterattack or offensive maneuver, uh, combined arms maneuver that uh, allows Ukraine to, to gain a foothold, um, penetrate the enemy line, and then exploit a large area, something that we do not see Russia doing. We see Russia fighting for months to simply gain um, a kilometer or two. Um, there was a fact saying that they're they're losing a, a thousand or two thousand, a thousand soldiers for every kilometer of ground, uh, or some ungodly number like that. But it, it doesn't surprise me. So going back to the, the breaking news, so we, we kind of knew what was going on. The five to five to eight week training. Uh, at the time, we had heard a lot of experts talking about we shouldn't be giving these vehicles this quickly because the, these Ukrainians wouldn't be able to train up. We also said we heard people talking about how it's only going to be these brand new basic recruits. Um, and I, I think that this space has been a great place to kind of uh, counteract a lot of that information and some of the, some of the questions we had early on. But um, what we heard yesterday um, from a report that you know will be verified very soon um, from multiple different sources I believe is that the very first battalion, um, combat arms battalion, and this would be a heavy, probably mechanized uh, infantry battalion uh, of soldiers uh, that have been trained on Bradley's, um, have uh, have completed their training. Um, this follows uh, uh, reports of training on the leopards in Poland uh, that I'll get to here in a little while. But uh, the article, which uh, I've retweeted on, on my account, um, it, it talks talks a little bit uh, more about the type of training. You know, it went through. It was uh, more than 630 soldiers, so that's a very large battalion plus follow-on forces. Um, if you look at uh, one of the slideshows, the very first uh, uh, set of uh, threads I thread I made, uh, we, we could look at the battalion size, and it, it looks very similar to that. I'm going to get to it really quick and, and try and share it, but those numbers are very similar. Um, now, I've got yep. your pin tweet in the nest, by the way. Is that the one you were after? Yes, definitely. And if you go into that tweet, that, that thread, there's there's another thread uh, that was the very first one. Um, it is, I have to check it. I can't, I can't get to it right now, but, but that's, that's okay. So again, what, what we found out is that this first battalion has, is, a, is, tre- is ready to, uh, graduate um, and ready to be able to be in Ukraine um, to then integrate back into the forces in whatever way they're going to do it. The other really critical critical parts we learned um, is that there's staggered training going on. So not just one battalion is training at the same time. There's also uh, battalions of uh, artillery being trained. 
Um, but also there's other battalions of Bradleys that are staggered. So I, I'm guessing what, what they're probably doing is every two to three weeks, they're, they're setting another battalion through. Um, when you look at that, that's, that's very close to being able to create a brigade very quickly. Um, they're also talking about there, there's going to be the, the beginnings of another stri- of a striker brigade or striker battalion also being trained up soon. So what we see what they're doing is they're staggering um, this, uh, this training. So in, in the reality of it, there's a very large number of soldiers going through this training all at once. Now, it didn't tell you everything in the article. I, I truly believe that there is uh, uh, probably Abrams being trained there also, and probably some other NATO tanks possibly. Um, but we also saw earlier in the week um, a really exciting uh, development, and it really answered a lot of questions for folks. And it was an interview of a tank commander in Poland learning to, to fight on the Leopard 2. And this was no basic recruit. This was a grisly, battle-hardened soldier, uh, commander. And he was explaining that, you know, he was, he was talking about the, the, how, how good the tank was. Um, but he also was talking about how he had just rotated off the front line of the Donbass. And he was a tank crew commander uh, in another variant. So what, that's, what, what, what it is telling me that Ukraine right now has been able to, you know, find significant reinforcements to reinforce this, you know, uh, front line where, where, where Russia is throwing everything at them. And, and what in combined arms we called uh, I believe that Ukraine has created what's called the layered standoff um, across the front line. So there is multiple layers of defense um, and it's in, and there's multiple, you know, layers of it where and, and th- those layers can outrange uh, the Russians. So the Russians are always going to have to, you know, fight for every inch of ground um, where uh, and, and that's what we see across. And that allows, you know, Ukraine to have much more freedom of movement and not have to mass forces as much when you have that kind of, um, you know, that kind of, uh, I guess, layered standoff. And that allows them to then rotate back, you know, highly trained, highly skilled soldiers who are already on the front lines to now uh, learn new equipments, but then also hone new tactics and new skills. The last part of that, what they talked about was that there was a battalion on battalion size, force on force engagement. So what the the, the, so the trainers in Ukraine in, in Grafenvir did was they created a scenario that would mimic the Russian army in whatever an offensive and probably defensive situation. Um, so they would put their vehicles together. It's called Op 4. And then these new Ukrainian soldiers would have to then on a massive scale from artillery to tanks to Bradley's Humvees, um, MRAPs, all the vehicles you can think of that make make up these units, including drone warfare and, and all these other things, they have just gone through a force-on-force action for multiple days where they learned new tactics um, that have been being honed by what's called lessons learned. Um, and that's what we what what Ukraine has been able to do. So this training is this base, this solid base of combined arms training that will be tailored to Ukraine and is being tailored to Ukraine because because of this type of, you know, advanced soldiers going to it. So it's pretty exciting times, um, in my opinion, because what when I see this, uh, you know, when I hear the, the talk about how close the Bradleys are, you know, I think at, at this point in time, it, it's, it, it's just, we, we might as well, we, we need to stop speculating because it's just going to happen and we just don't know when. 
Um, but we are going to start to see these vehicles and these units show up um, in, in, in Ukraine sooner than later. And um, when I do, uh, there's going to be a lot of Russians and a lot of foxholes, you know, very worried at night because the, just the simple, the, some of the simplest vehicles that are being sent, the, their range, uh, their thermal optics, the, the, the ability for them to own the night, they will terrorize this front line and they will weaken the front line. And then sooner or later, I believe you see, you'll see the, the heavy part of it uh, make a breakthrough. And, and, and all the pieces of the puzzle are there for Ukraine to go on offense to take back a big chunk of ground. And with that, I'll uh, kind of uh, see if there's any uh, buddy from who, who, anybody up here, our speakers uh, would like to just kind of weigh in right now. Um, I've talked for a little while, um, but uh, it, it's just it's a really good it's, it's really good to see kind of, you know, what we've been talking about uh, kind of coming coming true. And when you look at, again, the sizes of these things, um, it is, it is it, I mean, a combined arms battalion, I just pulled it up, um, is exactly, you know, 600, 650, 600 to 700 people with, with all the attached personnel included. Um, when you look at artillery, uh, it, it the, the numbers look, very much like they're, they're, what they're doing is creating these these new units and they're structuring these new units to, to really mimic this combined arms doctrine that um, NATO kind of created to, to be able to counteract um, and, and, and really uh, adapt to, to this, this fighting. Thank you very much, Will. Um, and uh, so the, this, obviously what you're saying here, uh, or what I've picked up from this, is this group of um, Ukrainians who have been trained are the size of one of those groups, yeah? Exactly, exactly. So the 1st Battalion, so the, the, this is what, what, what they, they led on, and this is what General Milley talked about uh, five weeks ago, is that they were going to train a battalion. And a battalion is kind of, uh, what, what a battalion is, um, there's two different types of battalion in this type of uh of, uh, of, 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 uh, you know, unit makeup. It's one's called the combined arms infantry battalion. And the other is a combined arms, uh, combined arms battalion armor. So, so we'll talk, we'll first talk about the infantry, uh, uh, battalion, uh, the, uh, combined arms infantry battalion has around 12 to, or 32 to 40, uh, infantry fighting vehicles. Um, in two mechanized companies, plus a headquarters company that has support services for all these vehicles. Uh, we talk about, um, you're talking about mechanics, cooks, uh, medics. Uh, a battalion is a pretty large uh, size. It has the, the integral part of it, um, but, but along with the vehicles, so 32 infantry fighting vehicles, 14 to 20 main battle tanks, depends on how they, how they work out. And also... At least one company of uh, self-propelled artillery, uh, which would which would account for nine guns, um, so nine artillery guns that are mobile. Um, and there's different ways for that. They would usually have a, a, a mortar platoon with them. And and nowadays with this new technology, I think you'd have a, a drone platoons, or I'm not exactly sure how they're going to integrate that in there. So going back to it, combined arm infantry battalion, 32 infantry fighting vehicles. 14 main battle tanks and uh, self-propelled artillery. Um, there's around, from the integral part, the, the main combat force, uh, around 40 officers. Um, so people who are uh, officers, um, officers are the commanders, the lieutenants. And then the unique part of uh, NATO and Ukrainian forces compared to 
the, uh, the, the Russian forces is the 474 enlisted soldiers, but about a third of those are, 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 are non-commissioned officers uh, who are uh, leaders uh, in their own right and, and uh, you know, lead platoons and squads and battalions. That's what I did in the military. I was, you know, I left the military as an infantry squad, mechanized infantry squad leader. I led uh, dismounted troops out of the back of a Bradley fighting vehicle um, in multiple deployments in Iraq. Along with that, so that's that's around 500 integral individuals. Along with that, you have another around 160, 170 additional personnel that would count for uh, the add-on. And when you look at what was talked about, uh, it's uh, 630. Now, remember that number. So it's a little bit less than a, a combined arms infantry battalion, if that makes sense to you mockers. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much. Okay, and the, the second one we're going to talk about is a combined arms battalion um, armor size. So what this is, this is a heavier unit. Uh, this would be a, a unit that um, would be more based around um, based around uh, tanks. And give me one second, let me pull it up real quick. So in a combined arms battalion, you would have kind of a reverse role where you would have uh, 26 to 30 main battle tanks, so almost double the amount of main battle tanks. But additionally, you would have at least one uh, company of mechanized infantry, uh, which would account for 14 to 16 infantry fighting vehicles. Um, when you look at the personnel, uh, again, it would have it's a little bit less uh, than an infantry uh, battalion, a combined arms infantry battalion. Um, you have around just around a little over 600 people inside of that unit size. So again, when you look at what they're training, what they're talking about, the numbers really add up. Now, when you take those battalions, um, and this is where you know the slides kind of really help out. When you take these battalions, um, they turn into what's called brigade combat teams. And a brigade is something that is made up of multiple different, um, multiple different battalions. So for instance, uh, uh, the, the one example we have of a brigade combat uh, team, um, what it has is it has three maneuver battalions. So if it was an armor uh, brigade, heavy armor, it would have uh, two armored battalions, um, just like we just talked about, um, combined arms. And then we'd also have one infantry, uh, mechanized infantry battalion to go along with them, uh, along with, you know, recon security groups. This is a much bigger element. So when you when you think about this 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 group, it is it has a whole lot more follow on. It has engineering um, uh, companies and battalions. It has a communications battalions. It's got aviation attached to it. it. Has artillery battalions, logistics, and medics, and and many different things. So this is a much bigger unit. But this is how we we build our 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 our, our units out. You start with the battalion. You go to a brigade. And then you put maybe two brigades together. And when, when you look at the, the example that is in the nest and you go through that thread, it can show what a division size. So a division is made up of then multiple brigades. Sometimes you have uh, strictly uh, heavy armor brigades with infantry, et cetera. But when you, when you put a division together, it has multiple different uh, units in it um, to be able to do a whole lot of things. Um, and, when you start looking at the amount of vehicles that are being donated, um, the, the, the amount of vehicles that are already in country, um, including the main battle tanks, including all the Soviet era ones, and there's other, yeah, we really looked at, I really do believe that 
that there's the ability to to see two newly trained um, from both NATO countries and in Ukraine in this new style about two division size units uh, like this uh, being turned out in the next, you know, one to two months. And that's that's something very significant uh, to think about. Um, but the pieces are on the table. And I, I still believe that we're going to start seeing, you know, even more, you know, infantry fighting vehicles uh, coming from uh, hopefully America in the near future also. Thank you very much, Will. Um, and uh, yeah, we're, we're looking forward to uh, hearing about some uh, additional Bradleys. Um, Gunny, hello there, go ahead. Ahoy, ahoy. Um, yeah, thanks, Will. Good briefing as um, always. Um, mate, given the, the um, disparity of nationality of kit, Coming through, would you would would you be looking to mix formations up with different kit according to um, that you just get them out and and get them capable, ready to deploy on ops immediately, or would you say want a US um, equipment centric formation and then be prepared to sort of wait for a UK? Um, formation because um, the UK government's already said we want to give them the, the kit to at least give them one, probably two UK sort of central mechanised battle groups. So that would be uh, Bulldog, Challenger and AS-90. Now we know that the Ukrainians are, train are training on all three of these bits of kit. So would you want to do that? Would you want to have your Bradleys, um, Bradleys and maybe Leopards, etc in one and then challengers as90s and bulldogs in the other or would you just say do you know what Let, let's just tailor it we, we we can manage the logistics um and if that means mixing and matching to to get kit into theater and get them ready to deploy then then that's something that we'll just have to we'll just have to cope <clears throat> excuse me cope with in the future yeah, that's a, that's a really good question and i i think that goes back to like the big principle that i've been trying to put around this and, and to try and make, try, try and see, try and make it as, try and, try and envision the most, you know, capable way of doing this. And I, I really think that we almost have to go away from just thinking about even the, the types of the vehicles and the names of the vehicles and, and it more, more, what are the vehicles used for? And I, I don't think that there's going to be a hodge, a, a, a random hodgepodge of vehicles, but when you look at the, the types of vehicles and that's what that, if you go through that thread, um, you look at the different types of needs for vehicles. You've got uh, heavy penetration and heavy support. These are, you know, the 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 vehicles that are at the highest level, the, the the biggest guns. But then you also have, you know, light heavy support crossover, heavy infantry mo mobility, light infantry mobility, mobile fire support. You know, if you look at the the sizes that are needed to create these units, um, again, I don't think that you should put five leopards along with five Abrams and five Bradleys and CB90s. I think what would you what you need to do is whether a squadron I'm I am i am trying to think that what that exact I think that's a is that a company 14, um, 14 size element company, and that cool. is currently the standard. There's a discussion uh, let me just chip this in because I think you're onto something here. Um, the tanks will almost likely remain so to say grouped by type as it seems. The Ukrainian battalions most recently have been structured as having 31 of their tanks. They are now seemingly, in order to comply with the doctrine they are trained in, going to uh, 
tank companies of 14, just like NATO troops in Europe do, meaning the regular current peacetime tank company. However, we are being told that they may end up having only two companies per battalion at the moment, which makes no sense, don't get me wrong, because there's simply not enough A6 uh, yet confirmed. That may change. On the A4 front from the Leopards, uh, it looks like all three companies will be there, meaning three times 14, and therefore a full proper battalion. And now the question, and this is where I think we're coming to what Gunny was raising, the question is whether you would mix, for example, Bradley's with Leopards, which has been the case in some NATO battalions in the past, or whether you just uh, combine them with Marders and CV-90s and how you mix that up. I would not expect to see uh, Challengers and Leopards in one battalion, with the exception of Leopard 1s, which if and when they come, they could act as supporting fast mobility, yeah, um, recce tanks and artillery, because that's what it would be. Compare it with the AMX as an anti-tank gun, compare it... Um, with what the Ukrainians already have in theater from their own side or compare it with a proper striker MGS, but please. No, I think so. And we, you know, one of the things that was really unique that we've seen is that there has been this big shift in the idea of doctrine. And we, we did glean that a little bit from large numbers of Ukrainian soldiers with all, with the kit that's already been donated, you know, both Soviet era plus some of the you know, earlier stuff that came from especially a lot of UK kit um, that that you saw there was this you definitely saw this com com combination of them with the Max Pros. Um, so what I'm saying, Gunny, is that um, I think that there's going to be a very thoughtful setup of these units where you have a good mix. You know, I think that when you look at it, there's no, you shouldn't have less than a battalion size altogether. So you know, if you put um, two Two, two, two squadrons together of tanks and a squadron of, of, of Bradleys along with maybe, you know, a couple of CV-90s as hunter-killer teams, a lot, you know, or and then, then some strikers. You, you can create these units different ways. But, you, again, you can't go any smaller than a battalion. I really don't think you would ever go any smaller than a brigade combat team, Gunny, and that would be allowed – that would allow you to have enough force um, of what whether you're using – Soviet air tanks to augment the main battle tanks. We've seen a really big news of, of large numbers of, of upgraded Soviet tanks starting to come come out, I think. Um, or the recce tanks, a battalion of recce tanks added on. I, I, again, I don't think you'll see, you know, really small units. I think that they're working to build these brigade combat teams. And I don't think it really matters if it's, a, you know, a battalion of English um, English infantry fighting vehicles with, uh, or martyrs, but it has to be a size enough that you can maintain it. I hope that, sorry if that was long-winded, man. No, 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 that's great. I'm, I'm, yeah, I mean, that's interesting, isn't it? They're looking at going down to, to two companies, which is, what was what it? Uh, three plus three plus three. So is it nine, ten per company? I suppose it depends because for us we we don't use companies we use squadrons, which is fourteen, but there's only four squadrons to a regiment, certainly with a raw tank regiment. So fourteen. I, 14 I don't know. I don't know if that means three companies per battalion on. Uh, yeah, so it's yeah. same as a squadron. 
uh, so, so, so we got to be one, one sec. If if you if you don't mind me interjecting really quick. So what what was really talked about was was the idea of the combined arms battalions that that was emphasized a lot by, by and in in two thousand six it was a big doctrine change, um, and when you look at an armored uh, battalion, uh, an armored combined arms battalion. So think of it the tank heavy version. Um, it's made up of thirty main battle tanks, um, and that would that would include. Um, Plus, plus about four or five to add on to your headquarters or maybe your reconnaissance uh, part of the battalion. And then 16 heavy infantry fighting vehicles. And then you can have, you know, add on, add on stuff. But that's, a, that's the new makeup of like the, the armored along with fire support. So you've got um, a, a company of armored, a company of armor, a company of main battle tanks uh, or two companies of main battle tanks and one company of mechanized. Infantry. If you have the infantry version of that combined arms, which you mix and match these, you, you have you get to overpower your 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 brigades. Um, you have thirty four infantry fighting vehicles, but fourteen main battle tanks make up a, a infantry combined arms battalion. Um, that's the amount of tanks that's needed for that infantry combined arms battalion. If that makes sense to you. So, do you think it could be that they that they feel reasonably confident? Now that um, they'll be getting Bradleys, uh, I, I know Bradley's not primarily a tank killer, but do, do you think what they're thinking is instead of going for really heavy formations, why not go for two companies of tank per formation and then use the Bradleys um, and the AMX-10s, etc., to kind of backstop it? And that way you, you, you're getting more formations. Yeah, each one's going to have fewer tanks, but you're going to have more of them uh, and you're content with that because you've got infantry fighting vehicles that are really going to be able to backstop um, the, the heavy vehicles if they get themselves into a, a, a dust up. Exactly. And, and I'm going to let George come in for a second. And if you go through that thread, Gunny, there's a there's a couple of graphics where you see kind of like a, I guess, a battlefield. And that's a pretty large battle area. It's about 150 kilometers by 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 50, I think it is. And when you think of combined arms brigades, all right, so that's where I think that this is really going to, um, you have multiple battalions inside that brigade, um, plus support inside a, a division group. And that division, that division battle group can be made up of both a mix of like, there's, there's heavy infantry combined arms one, but this newer version is you, you have at least one very heavy, um, battalion or brigade combat team a very heavy one so it's overmatched it's got extra tanks it's got extra it's got the heaviest of the bradleys it is the, it's what's called the penetration force so it's not so much every single one of them are going to be the same so you've got what's called the penetration force which is really key um, to making that first major breakthrough and then you have your follow-on forces and your follow-on forces can be made up of, of of different types of again battalion size elements so if you have a the next Back batch in would be heavy infantry mobility. So the ability to bring in infantry fighting vehicles along with fire support. So this is where I think you see your 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 recce tanks, your Amex tens. I'm adding a, an additional set of firepower to these other battalions. So what I call crossover vehicles and Bradleys and CV90s can also act as a heavy fire support for other vehicles like the Martyrs. And Martyrs are are pretty pretty damn good too. I'm I'm really learning. But when you 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 continue to make these different battalions and you've got that first division core group um, and, you know, you've got multiple brigades in there. And, and again, each one of those brigades can be made up differently. I, I hope that 
this is this is pretty this is newer doctrine that has been you know been developed over the last has been really adapted to NATO. Um, I've had the pleasure of wargaming one of these in 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 Germany. Um, as a pretty low enlisted soldier, but having a clearance, it was good. Um, but when you see that when you put all these vehicles together. There, there is the ability to amass the forces. And, and when, you, when you create that penetration force, it's going to be great. But the thing is, is you can't just break through the line. You have to have all the other aspects to it. And that's why I really think they're going towards that division or, or you know, division, division model. And it, it seems like that's what they're training on. Yeah, yeah so I was going to say that, um, you know, when you look at – what they did in Kharkiv, that was the first real instance of the uh, Ukrainians using, you know, uh, significant numbers of tanks. They know what worked against the Russians back then, right? And remember, the Russians back then were a little bit more of a capable force. It wasn't, it's now skewed more, uh, you know, mobilized and guys just, you know, picked up off the street uh, with little training. But to, to what Angry Ant's talking about here, you might have a, a brigade that has, um, you know, uh, a, one battalion that has three companies uh, of, uh, Le- of Leopard 2s. Uh, and then, you know, the, the other two battalions might be light, might be light uh, uh, in tanks or might be made up of, of Bradleys and... Um, you know, AMX tens or or Leopard ones when they get them in in, uh, in theater because you still have a hundred and five millimeter gun, so it could take out uh, you know any Inman threads, bunkers, and things like that. And plus, you have the Bradleys with the tow missile, so it's not like, hey, oh my God, there's a you know a T eighty or T ninety on the horizon and we can't deal with it. The Bradley can definitely deal with it because for the most part, it's going to see it first. So. Because they they're gonna have a finite number of tanks initially, uh, we might see some uh, battalions or even some brigades that are not actually armored brigades, but more like a mechanized infantry with a armor uh, detachment. Whether it be a couple of companies uh, in there or something like that, you might see an uh, had a hodgepodge. Uh, you know, like an ad hoc groups uh, developed so they can get the most out of what they have. Um, and I think they should and probably will wait till uh, till the wet season is over, the spring season is over, because you don't want to send uh, stuff like that where you're going to have to spend time trying to bridge, uh, you know, streams that are overflowing, um, mud uh, swamps. And the other thing is, if you throw them at the Russians as you get them, uh, you're using pin, pinpricks uh, to attack them instead of, you know, uh, one big, large uh, sledgehammer. So if they combine all this stuff into like uh, one or two uh, armored divisions, you know, with uh, an, an armored division might have, like uh, Angry Ant said, it might have a battalion or even a brigade that's lightened but that might be your breakthrough unit. Uh, you've got your speedier vehicles there so that they can exploit the breakthrough until everybody else catches them. But using Leopard 1s and uh, the AMX 10s, I mean, they can in, if they're alongside Bradleys, I'm not as worried about it when it comes to firepower because the Bradleys can make up that long-range uh, uh, distance shots that they, need, they would need to take. 
You know, George, there's actually, I was, I was listening to, I was watching a, 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 a video, someone I, on the striker and the, the guys that he, he, Chris Cappy does it. He works for task and purpose. He does uh, some really basic videos on, on vehicles and really good stuff. He was talking about the striker and he did bring up one part that I thought that it was pretty interesting. And especially since we know the rainy season's coming is that I do believe, you know, if you have, let's say, a, a battalion-sized element of Bradleys and an additional amount of tanks to add to it and your support, that possibly, you know, you could see one of those battalions being sent place, someplace to, to shore up a line, you know, someplace that you needed to kind of help out, you know, use that, you'd be able to, you know, one, either use use it to be able to, you know, get folks out, you know, having this extra, you know, this newer firepower, extra support, or be able to, you know, sure up a defensive area, say, you know, like a Bakhmut area, you know, being able to reach out and touch these folks, um, you know, and, and again, and these, these will have, you know, the, what I'm, I'm pretty sure is these Bradley uh, battalions will have, you know, that company of M109, you know, howitzers going along right with them. So, you know, it's very. It would be very interesting to see if there is, you know, a couple of places that they they send a, a, a set of these vehicles, or maybe a set of those units that were refitting, um, you know, in the rear in Ukraine themselves, which we saw in the last couple of weeks uh, doing training maneuvers, um, seeing them, you know, in you know go out and you know fill a fill a hole, say, say in some place like you know Bakhmut or oh you know oh I agree hundred yeah. percent use use it like especially the Bradleys using them in. Uh, areas where you know uh you're you're thin on infantry or or and the defensive position is uh, you know be- becoming something untenable you hey look w- me and you know that uh if ukrainians would have had like uh a dozen bradleys in bahmud and uh, in solodar uh the russians wouldn't have moved like three they wouldn't have advanced three meters in, in, you know at all because those would have been enough just to chop everything up that was that was being thrown at them, because of the because of their ability for their firepower, their ability to engage targets at night. I mean, it completely changes the battlefield, right? Um, and and we know that. Yeah, I'm just saying that as long as they don't throw them piecemeal in the offensive, and I doubt that's that's what they're going to do. Because remember, they had gotten those PT ninety one or their twenties from the poles, those two hundred. They had gotten them several months before the Kherson offensive, but uh, they waited uh, for the correct uh, time. They didn't. They didn't use them initially in the Kherson offensive either. They uh, waited. They massed them up wh- where they needed them to be in Kharkiv and uh, liberated, uh, you know, over three hundred Ukrainian settlements and uh, pushed the uh, the Russians back to the borders. You know, so they've shown patience, uh, the Ukrainians. So I. I uh, I would be surprised if, if obviously they're not showing it now. Plus, the, the mother nature is going to make sure uh, they're patient anyway, because you're in, uh, in a, about a week or two, offensive operations are going to be off the table. Uh, if anybody's looking at the forecast, there's going to be some cold days next week, but uh, we're significant. We're um, looking at significant temperatures above uh, freezing every day. And that's all you need. It doesn't matter if it drops down to freezing at night. Uh, the fact that it gets above freezing uh, during the day and you're 
driving with a 50-ton vehicle, 60-ton vehicle, that's enough to turn everything into mud. No, definitely. Hey, uh, so I, I just retweeted one of the, a very good, a picture. It's a, it's a combined arms, a division, division support, the idea of a of division support, a very, it's a really basic uh, 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 PowerPoint that I put together uh, for anybody who would like to take a look at it. Gunny, I sent it to you and it really, it kind of explains, you know, again, a three, a, 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 you know, three brigades, you know, being used to create, you know, three brigades of, you know, combined, combined arms brigades. Um, and it, it really, I think it'll help explain to you just what's needed. So the way, again, I, I look at it is, you know, we create these units by what the need is. So I think, again, massing the massing the, the units, massing the different vehicles to create those different units. It's just going to be it's going to be interesting to see That's it's going to be a, it's going to be great. It's going to be it's going to be pretty awesome to see. It'll be it'll be, you know. It'll never have been done before, Gunny, I think, you know, this many, you know, something when I, if you start seeing, you know, multiple un countries, you know, vehicles making up, you know, these singular units. And, and, and remember, we have to, most of the tanks, right, except for the Challengers, are going to be using, uh, you know, the, the M1s and Leopard 2s are going to be using the 120 smoothbore ammunition. But then when it comes to the IFVs, uh, you know, Bradley's used a 25 millimeter autocannon and the Martyrs use a 20. So when it comes to IFVs, mixing and matching them in units uh, might cause a bigger headache <laughs> than, than, than you need. And that's why I think uh, at least separating the IFVs because because of the uh, ammunition they use is, uh, is different uh, is probably going to make sense. Yeah, that, I mean, th there's going to have those considerations, and then you know, most most importantly is the you know mechanics and the the, the support. Um, but you know, when you when you go when you look at all these different vehicles and the, you know the different things that are being sent, that the, the the difference in the technology, and and I just really think that again, the along with you know we haven't seen a lot of the the, the stuff that was already donated um on the front lines you know lately um we haven't you know i i, I it, ukraine has done a very good job of of you know not letting folks know where a lot of that stuff is and we haven't been seeing the losses so i i would be very interested to see where they're already kind of you know amassing some of those original units or because again, I think that they're going through a very major. I think that they're rotating troops off the line and and, and, and doing this training in country. And uh, it is uh, it, it, it's very interesting to see. And I, and I think again, it's going to put a lot of the naysayers that said it was going to take, you know, you know, six months, eight months to try and figure this stuff out. I, I really, I, I think that we're we're seeing the the real strength of the Ukrainian people and and the willingness to fight to defend their country that. You know, in a time of conflict, um, people can do human things, sub, you know, human, you know, heroic stuff, you know, um, and the and the will to fight, the will to, to take initiative. You know, that's what turns people into good soldiers. And and when you get them in those training areas like they are in Poland and England and, um, you know, 10,000 troops going through the you know, basic training, you know, NATO style basic training it's amazing stuff. Um, we're looking at, you know brigade size elements going through Grafenvir right now. You've got the leopard training going on in Poland with seasons. So, uh, and, and they mentioned that they were a brigade size element, you know? 
So it, it, it's it's all pointing towards you know, uh, Ukraine is 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 preparing you know to to I think improve their 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 army in the middle of in, in even in the middle of the fight. And I think that that gives you such a sense of you know I think why you know the, the American you know like General Milley is so bullish lately, and you see Secretary Blinken really explaining that that there's going to be re- repercussions for what's happening and all along they're the, the Russian army is getting weaker and and trying to do everything they can but 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 simply not being able to gain more than a kilometer in a few different places over months and it, it's just amazing to see and and and, and the, the the quality of of stuff is the most important thing it's going to do is it's going to save Ukrainians lives it's going to save soldiers lives that, that need to come home to their families and need to be able to live their future in that country with in freedom. Um, and again, that is why for everybody who's listening, especially in America or wherever around the world is I always give out homework. And if, if you have the ability to call your member of parliament, your member of Congress, for me, it's always, there's three phone calls. I, I call uh, both my senators and my local representative every single Monday. And I, I, if I have to leave a message, I have to leave a message. If I try to talk to somebody, um, I try to convene a positive message of how much we support Ukraine um, and how much we are, you know, we want to see whatever equipment that they need uh, there as soon as possible without any limitations. And I, I challenge everybody to do that once a week. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, and hopefully, you know, again, we can continue to, you know, I, I know we will continue to provide this support to, to make up even more units. Yeah. So I was going to ask you, you know, one of the things I think that's overlooked when we're talking about, uh, you know, the, the vehicles that me and you are used to is the ability for the communications. So that's the other thing is they improve communications, right? Not only within the vehicle, but with the other uh, vehicles in their unit. You know, the commanders can talk to anybody, at, you know, at the at the push of a button. And we've heard that a lot of the Russian vehicles are missing radios. Can, can you want to talk to how that helps? Obviously, you know, it's obvious, but how that training goes when you have to learn how to command the squad or the company that's in front of you. I mean, that the, the, the training, it, you mean, Everybody knowing kind of everybody's role, correct? Um, exactly, and then and then the communications aspect. Yeah, you know, it, it's it's invaluable, and I, I, it's one of the things that I I I think has to be integrated in also in, in large groups, and I think that that's why I, I worry sometimes when I see folks on the field, you know, in the trenches. I I don't see enough walkie talkies. I don't see enough communications. It's one of the things I, I, I really worry about the soldiers, you know, in the in those trenches right now. And it's something that we need to do better job of that and everybody's personal night vision. But, you know, to, to be able to have squad level communications that is on an integrated net with both your, your armor and then also your, you know, your rear command and support um, is critical. So um, basic communications, you know, if you really, if you, you know, when you think about it, um, when it comes to, to infantry, one of these mechanized infantry, I'll, I'll kind of try and start from the smallest uh, com- phone conversation to the largest one. I'll explain how important it is. So if you look at a battalion size unit, um, and we'll, we'll talk about, you know, this is, you, you, and you've got an infantry team, a fire team, 
And that infantry fire team is the, the, the person that's on the roof of a, of a building. And he and they and they're the first to see, you know, uh, enemy tanks uh, four four thousand meters away. He's got good infrared uh, equipment. Um, he's been dismounted. There's a there's a Bradley, you know, that his his platoon is inside this, you know, little compound area, and they're overwatching a valley, and they see the, the enemy, you know, four thousand meters away. Um, that squad, that team leader, radios to his squad, uh, gives him a very uh, trained and uh, what's called a, a sit rep, um, and everyone will be trained on this. This is the basic training that you you get in NATO training. This is something that you have to do to go through one of those training. You give this sit rep, and it's very precise. Um, that will give enough ex, uh, 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 information that that squad leader will then platoon his uh, call up. Usually, the 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 the, the, the platoon leader uh, who is the officer. And that that information um, will then be relayed, and, and that that platoon is in the general area, right? Um, and we'll just say this is an Overwatch position, so you know there's no no fighting happening, and so they don't have to worry too much. So that that lieutenant um, that that's in charge of that platoon calls up to his commander, um, and that that's a company commander, and the company commander controls three platoons that are all staggered in that general uh, valley, and he says, you know, he gives the exact same sit rep that that first sergeant or team leader or, or you know gave to to that the, the squad leader and that information will then go to the, the company commander and he'll start to decide what needs to be done he says you know um, i think that i can maneuver on them with my uh armor element and or one of my one of my one of my platoons but let me get me let me let me talk to my battalion headquarters because we're in this controlled area that you know covers about 50 kilometers and we've got artillery support and some aviation support and recon support. So that, that, that's better than just a, a, a team of guys on a roof. So then the company commander calls up the battalion and says the exact same sit rep. And that battalion has a whole a tactical operations base that will choose and look at the situation, put drones in the air, and they will choose the best outcome. Maybe it's to observe and watch to see what they do. Maybe it's to engage with uh, artillery. Um, maybe there's a you know sniper overwatch team that wants to do something. But there's a multitude of things that can be done in this massive layer of combined arms. And the ability, and, and now I'm going to explain to you something. This all happens within two minutes or three minutes. So from that initial conversation to the information from all that communication, to go all the way back to where the, the, the headquarters is, it's within minutes. And that's something that we do very well. And it takes the leadership on the ground of that squad leader and team leader that, that and, and, the, and, the, and the precise training um, that everybody's on the same page. And that's truly what I see happening. When you look at that sand table that, that Ukrainians were using in, inside their country to learn in combined arms, um, along with what we know goes on in Grafenbeer, that's that's the importance of communications, and I, I I know that was long, and I but I really wanted to explain that to people because if, if there's a breakdown in communications anywhere there, and and somebody who doesn't have a radio or um, there's there's not good communications, it, it, it there it, it's not that easy to do, but within minutes you can have artillery landing directly in front of your position if you're being overrun, um, and and that's going to be the power because. These 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 soldiers that are being trained are being trained and equipped, um, and that's something that's been told. And I I think that we're going to see them equipped with the the, the best night vision, um, 
radio and communications and, and, you know, and much more. I hope that does that. I hope that helped. Yeah. So, and then what we want to add to is wherever your, your uh, command post is, whether it's the company or, or battalion or brigade level, they're also now going to be getting Intel uh, from reconnaissance units, uh, obviously your, your drones that we see the Ukrainians use and when we keep reiterating the fact that they've used drones uh, to uh, the the utmost value, one small drone now, and they're using it. It's something you know. These are drones that are pretty much off the shelf uh, in a lot of instances, and they're using them to uh, correct uh, you know artillery fire with with precision, and also to see where you know uh, Russians are trying to break through what what elements are being used and all that is going to come makes it come it helps make a complete picture of what's going on on the battle space right angry and because you now have that instantaneous communication that instantaneous picture right that drone operator they're on the phone or they're on a radio they can live feed you know uh, battalion or brigade command and say this I'm, I'm watching this is what they're doing okay they veered they're, they're coming down this road they veered off or now you know and give a coordinate and a gps uh position so that artillery if you know whoever's making the decisions says okay we're gonna let them keep coming in or we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna hit them with artillery now Let's break them up because they're they're starting to branch off, or they're at a refueling point, or whatever have you. Yeah, you know, all of this technology is most of, from what we can tell, uh, especially with the Bradleys and and then just the, the newer the, the, is is more advanced than I had when I was in Iraq. Um, and every time I went to Iraq, it got a little bit better. But even though before I when I got out in 2010, the drone warfare was just really starting to happen um you had the big drones um the, we had air superiority so we were able to use these big giant drones they were awesome feed feed you know do for for a lot of different things uh we did have some smaller mobile uh drone sets uh they were big and bulky and they were pretty hard to use but they they were you could use them on ambushes and things like that that uh it helped. It gave you a sense of Overwatch, uh, but it was still not the greatest technology, and and that did improve towards the end of the global war on terror. But before I got, I didn't have that. And um, the ability to have that, and then also the integrated uh, systems that uh, these vehicles are going to have, um, were were they have been they've been there was they they did say that they they will have the uh, the 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 systems that they can talk to each other. You can know where you're. You have real time maps that the, the the technology and the uh, uh, the the computers system that the that the Bradley commander has and the squad leader has in the back of these Bradleys, um, very very interesting and very good, and it really gives you that ability to always know have a situational awareness of where exactly you are, where everybody else is, um, and the one thing that I really am really wondering, and it's something that we'll have to I can only geek kind of geek uh, about, is whether or not. Um, there's a way to be able to send the, some of those drone feeds directly into some of these vehicles, blue force trackers or the, or the track the the, uh, the, the, the battle display systems that they have 
um, be very uh, that's something some that that I don't know exactly about, but it'd be very interesting to see that happen, George. Yeah, that, that would that would be absolutely crazy. But you know, uh, speaking of the Bradleys, I think some people don't understand, like because of its cameras, because of its optics. So when you're in, with a commander in the Bradley, so he's got like what he's got like a squad, uh, a partial squad, you know, uh, a fire team. Before they exit the Bradley, he can give them a exact picture of what they're running out to. Remember, because they're inside the vehicle, they don't they don't have a picture of what's outside that fire team. And a lot of times, you know, you're you're in, been riding around that Bradley. It's dark, and you know you get that light adjustment. So the first couple of seconds, you're a little bit disoriented. But the commander can tell them exactly what's going on outside, and doesn't the infant doesn't the the squad also have a display that they the commander can project to them what's going on outside like in, the, in other words hey you guys are going to come out you're going to you know you're going to peel out to, to the right of the door there's you know a, an empty uh you know half destroyed building here this is you're going to be your firing position he can give them all this intel before they even come out of the vehicle right so it, it it's going to really depend on we we've never really had I think the hundred percent um, guarantee of what exactly which Bradleys they're getting so there there's different versions of the Bradleys um, I the 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 one that we we that that has been talked about is the, the ODS and it has what's called a uh, it's got a, a commander's uh, periscope. And what we also have is, and I apologize, I don't know the, the up-to-date name of it, but in the, in the time I was in, it was called the Blue Force Tracker. It's a, it's a screen um, that has all, you can pull all your maps up. You can see where you're at. You can put waypoints into it, et cetera. It's, I think there's a new version of it and it's called something different. But uh, we did see the, the Bradleys that the Ukrainians are training on in Grafenbeer were the ones with those upgrades. And they have a, a large uh, screen in the back for that team. Uh, it's it's usually a, it's a heavy team. You usually have two Bradleys per squad. Um, that you have that display in there, um, and that the commander can either look have you see what the gun sees or uh, what that periscope is doing, and that's really important. Um, and I will tell you, as someone who has had the ramp the a, a, a ramp drop, and as I as my team exited a Bradley. Was engaged with heavy machine gun fire. Um, it's really nice to know which side of the road to run to uh, before you get out. Um, you can find yourself in a pretty pretty bad situation if you don't know where to go. So it is invaluable. And and again, these vehicles all give such more protection against artillery fire. So pretty much all of them, from the striker to uh, to the, the 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 bulldog to the the Bradley CV nineties, um, they have protection against the concussion wave. So and they can they can withstand you know a lot of, a lot of punish from artillery. So the 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 overall safety and ability for Ukrainians to kind of engage the hordes of uh, of, of of Russian um, mobilized soldiers running at you, uh, I I can remember. Uh, I anyway, it, it's going to be very interesting to see. And I believe that some of these Bradley Master Gunners are going to get their. Uh, their version of ace aces uh, very soon and it'll be very interesting to see yeah you know it's what you just mentioned right you were talking about a squad per bradley four men per bradley right infantry now 
juxtapose that against what the Ukrainians have been using now to move their infantry to the battle space, right? MRAPs, you know, different types of mine resistant uh, vehicles. The, the 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 donated the donated strikers that the 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 sixtieth the brigade size element mm-hmm. that can move one thousand one thousand heavy infantry soldiers um, at high speeds into into battle one thousand that 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 the, just the number that's being sent exactly now think about this before if I had to move a thousand soldiers Ukrainian soldiers in the battle space. Especially when this war first started, we saw, and we still see, uh, SUVs, pickup trucks. Now we see MRAPs, different types of MRAPs. And when I say MRAP, I'm talking about all the ones that are wheeled mine-resistant vehicles. We're seeing M113s, right? And what's the firepower on those? Most of them have maybe a heavy machine gun, maybe a 50 cal, but now. As you just said, if I have to move a thousand soldiers, I'm going to be moving them with strikers and Bradleys. Remember, if I have to move a company of infantry with Bradleys, just imagine how many 25 millimeter auto cannons I have and how many tow missiles I have. The firepower that they bring to the battlefield is multiplied exponentially to the infantry they're dropping off right a strikers now have all this all this firepower oh well, yeah i mean a striker has you know computer controlled uh 50 caliber mark 19 so so let's do this real quick let's let's go through uh the major vehicles that are in this trunch of uh donated vehicles that will be making up these units and we'll um i can go through we'll go through each one of them real quick and um and we'll start with you know we'll start with well, we will. This is a really good conversation I like to have every week. And we'll start with the main battle tanks. Right. Um, and then we'll go to the different parts. So, again, when you think about what their job is to do, this is the penetration force. This is the heaviest of the heaviest. If they find a tank, they, they can go heads up with anything. So what do we know we've got going there? We've got uh, Leopard 2s. We have U.S. Abrams. We have Challenger 2s. And we have a, a, a large number of uh new or uh, upgraded or upgraded and, and refurbished uh, Soviet era tanks that are either in country already or coming. So those are your, 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 your overall penetration force. Those are the best of the best. They can go up against uh, any, any main battle tank. Um, the next section we have is what, what I call heavy support and crossover vehicles. And here are the, 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 the main ones, the, 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 which I think is one of the most important developments over the last month. Is the inclusion of the of the you know brigade size uh, element of Leopard ones? I mean, that's a large number of very good tanks um, that can do everything except maybe go heads up against the the most modern uh, you know Russian tanks. But again, we're not going to. I I do not foresee a whole lot of tank on tank action um, as we go into this war. Um, it, it, the most important thing is to be able to you know, break through the line. So you've got in the armored, uh, in the category that the heavy support crossover vehicles, we have Leopard 1s, AMX 10s, Bradley Infantry Fighting Vehicles, because Bradley Infantry Fighting Vehicles does not have to simply be an infantry carrier. 
you can use those on the offensive. You can partner them with Leopard Ones or with uh, a main battle tank, and they can be an offensive uh, group. And they can also support uh, infantry mobility vehicles. So, again, here is, and then you also have the CV90 with a 40 millimeter uh, cannon that, <clears throat> again, uh, is another vehicle that can play a crossover role. And as long as you're, you know, utilizing them in the correct manner and using intel and uh you know, your fire support uh to to and and infantry help you know these vehicles can pretty much do everything uh, except you know maybe go heads up with a tank it, they can really really pack a punch um if used right so the next one we have is heavy infantry mobility because what you have to have is you just can't send tanks out there you just can't send one yeah we see that's what russia tries to do you got to be able to control the ground you take. And that's why being able to get large numbers of infantry to control and clear areas that so to 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 take out uh, anti-tank teams, uh, to be able to create uh, overwatch positions, uh, things like that. You have to have a lot of infantry to be able to you know saturate the area to exploit uh, whatever penetration you have. And here's the main vehicles in this this order. And we're going to go with the heavy the heaviest of the of the infantry fighting vehicles here. So Bradley infantry fighting vehicles and CV-90s, they're going to play dual roles like we talked about. We had the Martyr that has a 20 millimeter cannon, but a very, you know, it's an older vehicle. But when I look at this vehicle, uh, you know, if you could get a whole bunch of these and a whole bunch of Bradleys together, you would be able to do, you know, an amazing amount of things. Um, you also have the striker. Uh, we have a large number of strikers. They're a lighter uh, infantry. They're on the lighter end of heavy infantry, but they still uh, are not, uh, uh, you know, any a, a very super light vehicle. And then you have bulldogs, which are a, an upgraded kind of version of a one one three. And and those are the the heavier infantry mobility. Those are infantry fighting vehicles that you can have, uh, you know. Getting into the fight right, you know, as what whatever's happening uh, it, during an offensive or or a defensive operation, and then uh, the last part of mobility is you know the the follow-on forces and what we call light infantry mobility. This is still something we want to be able to do is have uh, more folks get into the fight. We have uh, vehicles like the M113. We have more of those coming over. Uh, there's a massive amount of new MRAPs uh, that are coming from the U.S. and England, and then a, a, a lot of Humvees. Um, and those are the main maneuver forces. So I know I ran through a bunch, um, and I'm happy to go back through, but I wanted to show how you can break those vehicles down um, and, all, and, and actually how many different types and, and large numbers of vehicles that are coming. I think you got a. I think we got a question from one of our co-hosts, Mockers. Go ahead. Yeah, I've got a question actually from a listener, so I thought I'd just put my hand up and wait. Um, uh, the question is um, about Bradleys and Marders. Would they be useful in the Bakhmut defense? And um, what do you think would be useful if not them? You, you want me to take this, uh, uh, in or, or yeah, you, you can go for it, brother. Okay, so yeah, uh, I have I have said this uh, for the last couple of weeks. Yeah, if there was uh, a company of Bradleys uh, in the Bakhmut uh, Solodar area, um, they would still have been uh, where the the Russians would still be where they were uh, two months ago. Uh, 
Bradley's would have absolutely uh, wreaked havoc. Um, it's it's the firepower, it's the protection they can give. Uh, it's the ability for them to move from one hot spot to the next. It's the weapon they have. So, okay, so let's say the Russians and then armor. The guys in the Bradley are probably going to see it. So armor just doesn't get airdropped right into the theater. They have to move into position. Uh, and as they move into position, especially if they're trying to use low light at a, uh, early dawn or dusk hours, the Bradley is going to see it first. And it's going to wait. It's going to wait till it, till it has a nice picture on it, and it's going to let it have it with a tow missile so it doesn't even get into the battlefield. Uh, the other thing is with these massive uh, human wave attacks, Bradley uses uh, 25 auto, 25 millimeter autocannon and fires two types of projectiles. One is auto piercing. Obviously, you're not going to use that unless the they're using a BMP and it's just going to go right through um, the gun on the Bradley. The projectiles that are the arm piercing are going to go in one end out the other, and whatever's inside the BMP is just going to turn into mush, uh, literally. And that's what that's what happens because. Uh, not only does the round go through, but it breaks off pieces of the of uh, the BMP's own armor, and that goes rattling around at uh, very high speeds, and it just shreds everything in it. And then you have open infantry. So, the, so I'm the, the Bradley gunner. I can toggle. I have a little switch uh, joystick. Uh, it's like a yoke, two handles. And what I can do is I can switch now my ammunition to high explosive. And that means every twenty-five millimeter round is like a is like a is like a small grenade, and I just have to take a five or six or seven round burst in a grouping of maybe twenty, forty, fifty Russians, and it's all over for them. All you'll see, all I'm going to see is puffs of uh, red mist. That's how uh, lethal the Bradleys are, and. You wouldn't need many of them. There is video, and I think everybody on this uh, that, that is a regular on this space has seen it. It was a Ukrainian BTR, and that was a 30 millimeter cannon. And one BTR was absolutely wreaking havoc on, uh, you know, groups of 50 Russians that were coming out of a wood line. Uh, they were just absolutely getting mauled by this thing. And that was just one BTR, right? Uh, Ukraine needs these IFVs and they need them uh, as soon as possible. But yes, mockers, if these had been in country uh, a month ago, uh, they never would have taken the mines in the Solodar. It, it, it would have been, what I always say is we want to get the math up, you know, uh, and these would definitely get the math up. Uh, in other words, for every Ukrainian casualty, we want. Uh, multiplication of like 10, 20, 30 fold, and these would help achieve that. Yeah, I, I mean, I can't really say much more to that. It just the ability for them to be able to see and engage the enemy before uh, the enemy can see them. It just, there's, there's not many vehicles. I mean, these vehicles can do that. The Russians can't, um, the thermal imagery, um, the ability to engage the, the amount of ammunition you have, um, in a defensive position that, that this is part of doctrine. There's, you know, we're talking a lot about offense, but 
even offense, you have to have defense. You have to be able to defend. When you take ground, you have to be able to defend it. Or if you're defending, you know, if you defend it right, you can sometimes break through. And um, uh, the Martyrs uh, and the Bradleys are two vehicles that, you know, if they could get into the country quicker than, you know, so- sooner than later, um, those are vehicles I could see filling some, some possibly filling some gaps uh, as bigger units get put together. But I'll take the hands now that there's a. Um, Iwana, I'll go with you first because uh, you're my co-host. Thank you, Marcus. Do you hear me? Because my app is glitching. Fine. Yeah. So I have a question like a layman or woman question about combined arms. And you partially answered it when you talk about, talked about communication. So my question is about different ranges. So, for example, for infantry, for small arms, is like up to a few hundred meters. Then we have like a tanks and tank killers uh, up to three, four kilometers and then mortars maybe five, seven kilometers, and then artillery, 20, 30 kilometers. Not to talk about HIMARS and planes uh, that uh, may have a range of maybe more than 80, 100 kilometers. So when you have like a combined arms offensive, uh, how do you arrange all of this and how do you ensure communication? Uh, for example, let's take a practical example. You, you want to gain uh, 10 or 20 kilometers on uh, enemy terrain. How do you use all of them at once? Do you uh, stage them? Do you prepare the battlefield? How all of this works? Thank you. Well, I, I'm happy to happy to take that on. And um, you, you, if, if if you know going on the offense to do this, if you if we're saying we're going to take, you know, we want to move, you know, we're going to you know, assault an area that has, you know, two villages, two major, I will say a a large city, one large city and a few villages, and it's, you know, 20 kilometers. Um, What you're first going to do is is kind of make sure you you know where you want to go and you would slowly kind of start to prepare the battlefield. Um, You would start to bring in your reinforcements that would create that, you know, heavy number of troops that can work to make a breakthrough in the front lines. You'd make sure you have all your artillery and then you would start to create, uh, you know, as much standoff from their artillery as possible. You're going to try and start picking off their artillery, high value targets, ammunition depots, um, known targets. And that's called, you know, you'd start to do that. Um, and then you would have those different units kind of prepared. Um, and, you know, like we said, you know, there would be one major force every the different units would have different jobs you, you know maybe it was to you know go towards a, a certain point and then you know there's going to be follow-on forces that surround the city and multiple different things but it is all planned out beforehand everybody knows the plan the plan is known all the way down to the lowest level soldiers and with the communication and the battlefield knowledge that that is being gained in these training areas because just remember they just went through an exercise where they had the everybody from the commanders to the, the lowest level soldiers had to communicate with each other in some way or another through the chain of command um, and did a, a full exercise um, on these vehicles and, and using this technology. So it, it is it, it's incredibly important to have that communication between because, again, 
uh, what we've heard a lot about the Russians is that, you know, one side of the, 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 the unit to the right side of the other unit doesn't even know where they're at. They have no community. And you, that's not how uh, Ukraine has been fighting lately. But what it really gives, all of this gives the ability for Ukraine to even do more than in Kharkiv. In Kharkiv, they went on the offense, but they really didn't have the means to, to create a very, to create a uh, large area security. So they were, they were able to go so far and then they had to then reestablish their lines. They didn't have, I don't, they didn't have enough to continue the momentum. Um, the goal is, is that, you know, as soon as possible, what you try and do is you try and, you know, get as many uh, units into that space and you just keep kind of creating that bulge and you create new front lines as you go along and there's new bases that come along. And that's why the mobile artillery that we talk, we don't talk about that much. And mobile artillery is both, mobile uh, self-propelled guns. You also have uh, uh, towed behind mobile artillery pieces. And, mo- and, and then you have arti- or, uh, uh, what you have, what mortars. And mortars is also a form of artillery. And you have two different, different kinds. You have mobile artillery systems that are in the back of vehicles. And then you also have you know, light in- like infantry uh, mortar teams that might be in the back of a Bradley. So you have all these uh, this mobile artillery. So as you push forward with your infantry and your armor and your your combined arms, you can continue to push the enemy back. And with with the with the the HIMARS ability to precision attack all over the place and these new guided bombs, um, you're going to be able to see you know Ukraine do more of a shock and awe than Russia has ever done, and prepare the battlefield I think much better uh, whenever the the next set of offensive uh, maneuvers happen with with when you with Excaliburs etc. So I, ho- I hope that helped, if, if that makes sense. Yes, thank you very much. We've got another question from John. Thanks for the, um, for the session. Thank you for hosting. I think I remember uh, it being mentioned on the space that Bradleys are very efficient to maintain and you don't need a massive toolkit and lots of people on the Bradley can contribute or get the basics. And um, I'm involved in a massive argument in my work about complexity of our organization. I've been using Bradley fighting vehicles as an example all week. And I just want to check that I actually heard properly that they're sort of designed to be really simply maintained so that, um, you know, kind of like one wrench can fit a bunch of things and all that kind of stuff because it sounds to me like a good thing <laughs> it's a really good thing I, I, the toolkit right I, I use that in my professional world a lot i, I make a lot of toolkits and um what 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 i consider a toolkit is something that you know puts everything in one place simplifies it as much as possible um and everybody can understand it pretty quickly and and that's how uh all of this maintenance is usually done on so on, on a lot of these vehicles. Um, there's a lot there, there's a lot of talk about how complex these vehicles are, but the reality of them they have complex systems, but they, they've been created to be as efficient as possible. Um, in a Bradley, in a in a in a in a Abrams, in any of these vehicles, there's an exact toolkit, and that toolkit there's every single numbered tool you need, and you have a a, a guide that goes along with it, and. Um, whether for your like your low level, if you're just a you know a driver, someone who can do all that stuff, that you know you can work on it with your mechanic, who's your platoon mechanic, 
Um, there's a very limited amount of stuff that you need. Um, there's thing, limited amount of things you have to do every day, but you have to do them every day and you have to do it um, exactly the same. And you have to have that, you know, um, discipline and um, uh, I guess, uh, you know, fortitude to do it every single day, never mess up. Um, and, and that those vehicles run smooth and they, and they can take a beating and they can, you know, uh, do exactly what they're meant to do. But, uh, you know, if you're lit, la- if you, if you, if you lose one of those tools, you know, you're in trouble. If you, if you forget to, to grease the, uh, the tracks one or two days, uh, you're in trouble. Um, and I can speak from experience, um, but it's, you're exactly right. Thanks. One of the things I think I've learned from following this space is that the civilian world can learn a lot from the military world about organization and logistics. And um, so, yeah, that's super helpful. Thank you. Just a bit of a historical uh, aspect. Uh, when when people look at, you know, the, the industrial capacity of the United States in the, in the, in the late 40s, 50s and 60s, um, and how well the United States was functioning economically, you have to realize that over 12 million uh, men and women of the United States uh, in uh, between the ages of 18 and 25, 20, 18, let's say 18 and 30, but mostly 18 to 25, went through the U.S. military, served in some in some capacity in the U.S. military. And then when the war was over, all of them were uh, demobilized or sent home, and they took jobs, and a lot of them took jobs in factories. And uh, that uh, get it done, lead by example mentality brought to the workspace. And it definitely, uh, you know, uh, changed the whole uh, aspect of pro- productivity uh, in the U.S. workspace. And, made some of those companies, uh, you know, the uh, behemoths that they became in the 19, uh, in the late 40s and 50s. I guess you get a lot of people in business talking a good game, but in the military, your life depends on it. So you learn lessons maybe a little quicker. Um, yeah, thanks. It's really helpful. Marcus, I see you've got a hand up. Yeah, I've got another question that comes from the audience, um, uh, and that is about Ameri- uh, no, sorry, Australian Bushmasters. Uh, apparently 90 of them are said to be in Ukraine, um, and how would they fit in um, with regards to infantry transport? Give me one. They are in the light infantry mobility. We have some. That's a great Thank you for the listener who brought this up. Uh, that's great, great, great question. So um, I, I don't know if anybody can remember a few weeks ago, we saw uh, videos of Ukrainians training in Western Ukraine. Um, there was a lot of conversations about how there was a, a large uh, sand table, which is a training exercise tool. And there's a few videos came out and these were large scale units. Uh, look, look to be probably battalion sized groups. And they had uh, the, I believe, Challenger, the, not, not Challenger. There was an English vehicle. There was the, the Bushmasters and then a mix of different MRAPs. And what I believe that they look like when, when we talked about the vehicles earlier, 
I believe that they're in the category of the uh, follow-on force, uh, light infantry mobility vehicles. Um, it, that's where I think those play that role. And what I envision, what I think is happening, um, we, we've been talking about, you know, th- these vehicles that I, I named off earlier are all the vehicles that are coming into the country in the next couple of months. Um, what I also believe is happening is these same type of units, the same type of training is already being taken place in Ukraine to create the exact same type of units to be able to, you know, establish the larger, maybe the larger unit or, you know, be able to plug holes. So I believe their, their role will be in that follow on force, light infantry mobility. Um, that role is being uh, really held right now by M113s and Humvees and things like that. And this will be a big increase. And that's why I think we haven't seen them so much on the front lines because they've been saving them kind of to be able to create uh, this maneuver element. If that, if, if that helps, uh, I hope that helps the, uh, the listener, but it's a great, it's a great question. We got to remember uh, if, if you go through the Orox list of uh, vehicles uh, depleted, but also the vehicles that have already gotten to the country, there is a significant number of main battle tanks that have been upgraded um, over the last, you know, over the last year. Um, they have not all been blown up. There's a, a no, there's a large number of Soviet air uh, vehicles. Some of them aren't the best, but they will be able to fill roles. Um, but there is a, a, a lot of vehicles that are still on the battlefield that I think, uh, again, can be able to be used to make the, the, some, some augmented uh, uh, battalions and brigades, uh, maybe even a, a full di- another division um, of, of mobile infantry uh, or a quick reaction uh, division that can maneuver on the battlefield quickly. Um, that's, that's very, very possible with all, this, all the uh, uh, vehicles that are already in country. Hey, uh, I, I got a question from, from a listener here, and it says, we discussed, uh, you know, your exploitation force may consist of, like, of Bradleys and, um, you know, uh, maybe striker vehicles or the AMX-10, uh, uh, the AMX-10s, the, the ones with the 105 or Leopard 1s. And their question is, well, if they break through, and then what happens if they're, you know, counterattacked? or they meet up with armor. So one of the things of your heavy penetration force is hopefully at that point, they've dealt with, uh, as they've created the breakthrough, they've dealt with most of the uh, enemy heavy armor. And even if they, the Russians had, let's say, some kind of mobile reserve uh, force to try to counterattack, the fact that you're trying to counterattack with uh, Mobix and uh, People, you know, with very limited limited training, the fact that that counterattack can uh, go off without a hitch is uh, pretty much zero to none. But remember, uh, the whoever sent the, the question, the um, the Bradleys uh, can hold their own against uh, against armor, especially if they see them uh, first. Remember, uh, the, the there was uh, several battles during Desert Storm where Bradleys held their own and absolutely wiped out uh, the Iraqi uh, unit, armored units that uh, they came up against. So uh, but the chances of the breakthrough force uh, running uh, running against a, a massed uh, uh, enemy armored uh, counterattack uh, at, at this stage of the Russian army is uh, pretty much slim and none. I don't know how, what do you think? Uh, 
Yeah, I, I actually just, uh, if you want to look, I just uh, retweeted one of my, uh, one of the, one of the graphics that, uh, from one of the earlier threads, uh, uh, specifically about the penetration and exploit, exploitation. So uh, how counterattacks happen a lot of times, and I think we see a lot of this with the, the way the Russians um, use, you know, you see one or two, you know, tanks running down a road, breaking through and then getting shot in the side, you know, or in the back with, uh, with, uh, with the uh, anti-tank weapon. Um, and we've seen that over and over. We've seen, you know, a bunch of tanks driving down a road, a bunch of tanks going together, all together down the straight line through a road over and over and over again. Right. Um, that's not how we're going to, that, that's how you get counterattacked really, really easily. Um, when we talk about the penetration force, so first and foremost, um, before the penetration force breaks through, um, the, 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 as many targets in that area is going to be targeted as possible. So you're going to have recon folks for, for days looking for every tank, everything that looks like a tank through satellite imagery, through thermal optics, through drones, et cetera. The, the tanks are going to go through, but again, and, and, that, and that, that penetration force will have some infantry, um, you know, it will, it'll definitely, you know, you have to have infantry right along with those folks. You, you got it right. But it's again, we're not running in straight lines. Uh, we got to remember that um, that's not how this, this stuff works. But the, the most important part is to be able to fill that gap and then push that gap out with as, as, as heavy a view, as heavy a force and as large a force as possible. So when you see that penetration force make the massive breakthrough, you know, you, you don't have just lines and lines of Russian troops lined up. Uh, you have to be able to maneuver quickly. You have to be able to take key areas and control key land points, high ground locations, etc. So, you know, you know that that penetration force will turn into the front edge, and then you you can see, you know, if you have Bradleys and 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 CV90s and and Leopard twos, you know, they may run into one or two tanks over a you know massive area, but again, they're 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 not going to just drive straight into any any tank they're going to use tactics and they're going to engage and they're going to dismount their infantry and they're going to put their drones up they're going to do all the things that you do so it is it's key to have that ex exploitation force force of mobile infantry with with heavy fire support but again remember that these other vehicles can take take on anything except a tank and that's so so important um and what these things are really good at doing with the, the optics and the, the firepower that the Bradleys have and the accuracy, we got to remember the accuracy of a, a, a Bradley's like a sniper rifle, um, that 25 millimeters, like sniper rifle up to, you know, 3,200, 3,700 meters. Um, and the, the ability to, 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 to put that accurate fire to support infantry, you know, I have had 25 millimeter very close to me, um, but I, trusted my gun the gunners of you know of the bradleys that were that were engaging enemy at you know very close distance to me um but you also have you know again multiple different ways to engage but again to, to make it short being able to get as many of those critical areas controlled as quickly as possible and have enough forces to be able to put up a quick defense over that first 72 hours uh and that first you know initial major movement um, is it, so critical, and that's where all these vehicles are, are really going to help out. But especially, you know, the heavy, the heavy infantry fighting vehicles that can be that secondary force to really open it up for you know your lighter vehicles to be able to, you know, 
isolate any pockets and, and following forces and really clear this large area. Um, that's that's going to be key. Hey, uh, so, I, you know, we're talking about, um, you know, breakthroughs and taking ground. So, so someone's said, you know, someone's asked, Ukraine is a, is a large uh, country, obviously, uh, and you know, as Ukrainians take territory, uh, the question was, will, will they be able to hold it? Because, you know, typically what happens is on an offensive, now you have to start dropping, you know, your offensive, the, the power of your offensive starts to uh, go down. Not only because you might you'll lose elements, you know, as battles take place, but as you move deeper into, uh, you know, uh, territory, you have to drop off uh, units for security. Well, here's the good thing. Ukraine's not invading a country. They're liberating their own. And I'm sure enough that uh, this is where the territorial guard uh Defense forces will come in because they will come in to these towns uh, to help liberate them and help stabilize them, uh, you know, uh, getting these people food, whatever, taking care of whatever needs these local uh, people need. And, and, and remember, these are Ukrainians. They'll be more than happy to see their own uh, troops. We've seen... Uh, numerous videos of how exuberant they are to see their, their people. So uh, as the Ukrainians uh, liberate more and more of their area, uh, they don't have to worry about their, uh, you know, uh, logistics lines and things like that and secure those. Uh, people themselves will be more than happy to, to help out the, their army moving forward. So for the Ukrainians, it's not an issue for the Russians. That's a whole different ball of wax. No, no, a hundred percent. And when we saw the Kharkiv offensive, right? That when they when they made that breakthrough, they chewed up a lot of ground. Um, you know, I'm trying to. I was trying. I was trying to look that up really quick. But you know, something like three three thousand square kilometers in that offensive that they were able to do it. Now, are you always going to be able to? You know, get get that much over a you know the, the time frame that they did um, not exactly but you do because what what happens is you don't have to do this in every uh, you know you're doing this in a large scale area this is not just using one offs so what happens is you have specific objectives uh, to take uh, you know take key areas that then make the the you know the the Russian defense um, fall apart We've not seen them be able to withstand a counteroffensive really without truly falling apart very, very much, you know, so far. Um, I, I really, you know, the the idea of, of wide area penetration is, is within that first 72 hours to be able to control the ground. And, and a great example of the Kharkiv offensive was there's a video that everyone always knows, I think. And we talk about it. And there's a very short clip of it of uh, Humvees going up and storming a village um and what during the kharkiv offensive and it's an american and a crew of uh ukrainians in the in the in the and and foreign fighters in the in the in the humvee and he and he's famously uh shooting rpgs at at at, at folks um there's a much longer version of that video where you can listen to him actually narrate and tell you that what that action was 
And the interesting part about it was that was a cleanup. That was uh, that was a light follow on force. Um, they had an arid operation and they had observed um, a platoon, a, a platoon with, I think, two armored vehicles, an anti and an anti-tank platoon um, using that that had been kind of surrounded, you know, passed up by the overall force. Um, but they you know, had enough people that they were able to control a little bit of that town. So they had done intel. They knew exactly where the folks were. So uh, they planned it the day before um, where they, they knew that there was this village there. So, you know, they're, they're still ongoing. It doesn't just magically end, you know, when you take this giant ground. There's a lot of other operations that take place inside of those big blocks and arrows that you see. There's massive little things happening all the time. So. They utilized Humvees um, and they went at, as fast as they could at the break of dawn. They knew exactly where the uh, artillery team or the, they knew where the uh, anti-armor team was. And they also thought they knew where the, uh, the BM, I think it was a BMP. So his job was supposed to get the BMP out. When they got to the spot, the BMP wasn't there. So that's why they started to engage. Um, he wanted 50 cal ammunition um, because he needed to be able to take out the, uh, uh, the the anti-armor team but he only had the, he had to use the rpg a couple of times they, he didn't have the best crew drills um they were they that was you know it was not a very you know but there was still only a squad or so folks and there's you know you even see him taking out a a guy with an rpg you know in that engagement why i kind of went as much detail and then they left very quickly it was a raid they inflicted a lot of damage um, and then they quickly went away because they weren't sure, you know, they lost the element of surprise. And, you know, if you've got a couple of BMPs sitting around, you know, in your Humvee, so you're not going to last. So the, what the difference we're going to see in the next phase of this is well-organized groups of cleanup forces like that still operating in those first, you know, few days. But instead of having just simply Humvees, they're going to have max pros that have very high levels. They ha- they're going to have, you know, probably, you know, other different, you know, they're going to have higher level, you know, they have all these other infantry mobility vehicles, but then you're going to sprinkle in, you know, different groups, you know, you're going to have maybe a couple Bradleys with them. Maybe there's a cross, maybe you've got a leopard, a leopard, you know, a leopard one going in with those Humvees would have made a drastic difference. What did you think, George? Yeah. Yeah. I think the rest of the Russians would have ran. <laughs> and and I, that's the other thing that we have to make sure that we emphasize. Uh, you know, when you have the vehicles that we're about to see, uh, you know, be used, that that alone, uh, you know, breaks the will of anybody that's not even a willful fighter. Right? Uh, their will is uh, pretty much at the at the barrel of a gun. And we're talking about the Russians, and uh, that's why I keep saying once this offensive uh, launches, um, after the first uh, maybe 24, if 48 hours, I think it becomes a route. I just don't see um, how the uh, Russians are going to be able to uh, stem the stem the tide, uh, you know, maintain their lines of communication. You know their defensive lines, uh, counterattack, any of that, uh, and I'm just saying that because I saw what happened to the uh, the Iraqi army, which at this point 
you know, is well better, is a way better trained and uh, outfitted than the, the Russian uh, army is now. I mean, that uh, Iraqi army, especially those uh, Republican Guard units, were uh, veteran units of Saddam's army, and uh, they broke and ran. So I don't see how the Russians uh, will be able to uh, maintain any type of comprehensive force uh, once they get hit with the sledgehammer that we've been describing here. And that's probably going to happen late April, uh, May, as soon as the wet season is over. Yeah, I mean, we, we watched in Kurasan where there was a very systematic um, engagement of targets. And, you know, they, I think at one point, pretty much ran out of high value targets and they were even, you know, doing more, you know, pinpoint, you know, smaller targets. And um, I, I guarantee you there's a significant amount of uh, U.S. aid of precision fires that have been that are being held in reserve for this, uh, this the, the, the counteroffensive or offensive that they're going to go on. Um, and what I believe we're going to see is a very NATO-like shock and awe. I think that it's going to be a little bit different. I think everyone really wants to see jet fighters. I think that when you look at the combination of precision fires that uh, that are going to be on the battlefield, I believe so. The the small diameter bombs that are guided that can that can that can you know attack targets in a 360 degree area. Um, you've got HIMARS with the you know with the the tungsten balls. You've got um, all your different precision 155 rounds, uh, you know, the list goes on. And I truly believe that, you know, one night um, Russia is going to be f- faced with a shock and awe because the, the most important thing that you, you have is intelligence and Ukraine has the intelligence They're You know, it, it's really hard uh, with the type of satellite imagery that they're probably getting to, to be able to hide. Um, and, you know, you, you keep your powder dry. Uh, you don't always show your cards um, of what you have and what you know, what you know is there until the time, to, you know, to make that strike strike happens. And and I, I think we'll see a shock and awe that uh, really will 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 make what Russia did at the start of the war look like nothing. Thank you very much. Um, Ander, please go ahead. Good evening. <clears throat> So, my question, my mind start, uh, is stuck in, in, in Bahmut. So, my question is for, uh, kind of for that region, if that makes sense. You you mentioned earlier that um, if, if Ukraine would have had uh, the Bradleys, they could have, you know, um, made... A, a significant difference in the area, um, and this. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm so uh, I'm I'm supposing that uh, this is especially because they don't they don't oppose tanks in the area. They oppose uh, people. There are a lot of people, uh, a lot of of Russians, like infantry. Um, um if if what i read um lately uh about the area um russians have uh tanks in the south so vladar r- region and um herson and and so on but uh um on the northeast like uh 
Bakhmut. Um, I don't know about Adivka. They have a lot of infantry. So my question, I have a double question. You know, you know, I'm complicated. Uh, so the the question is like this: You get Bradleys, for example, for the region. How do they work with the terrain, right? Why? Why didn't Russians? One of the things that I didn't understand is why the terrain around. And I, I think I heard Thomas Steiner say, saying that is not a good area for tanks. And um, I was wondering why because I don't really recall and but I see the fact that Russians don't bring tanks um I'm, I'm not talking about Ukraine and the Ukra uh, Ukrainian army because I suppose they don't have enough so it wasn't a question for me why Ukraine is not bringing them uh tank uh, a lot of tanks although I saw some articles that they use T64 I think and yeah so, how is the terrain influencing this? And and if my assessment or my understanding is correct about the Thomas referred tanks. to Pitna and Vesela and Saitsevel, um, southeast uh, of Bakhmut, and he referred also to directly the outskirts, northeastern outskirts of Bakhmut where essentially there is forests, uh, stubble, uh, old mines, um, and uh, uh, various elevations um, broken off with uh, limestone coming out from the ground and the likes. That's what he referred to. He also referred to the rivulets, which were further north of Bakhmut. That's why it is, because it's not as open field country. You have mud in between, very inaccessible terrain. That's why the surroundings of Bakhmut are not perfect for tanks, which is why the if you look at the roads, if you go to Google Earth Pro, you can see the MO6, the MO3, and you can see the, the road from the south. That's Dujba, Odraivka, Ofitna, Bakhmut. Those roads have been heavily fought over thus far. Okay. So, um, how does uh, how how do the Bradleys um, fit in, um, and what can provide? Are they enough? Right. So, assuming you you bring Bradleys there or CV nineties. Um, are they enough? What what can you bring together in that area specifically that will work? And that's not the question, actually. The question is to circumnavigate the area. If you have tanks in, in a combined arm attack, with uh, um, you, you will use tanks. You will just use them differently. They will provide more uh, fire um, for when Bradley's IFVs, tracked IFVs actually advance or respectively try to circumnavigate exactly this area. This is area where infantry will have to take the space. But then again, I'll uh, hand it over to Angry Ansel. Yeah, you're, you're correct. But 
again, how, you know, no matter what the terrain is, you know, uh, there's, there's always ways to, to, as long as you have good reconnaissance and you have good planning to utilize the, re, the, the terrain and your abilities or your vehicle's ability to, to, to kind of exploit the area. So, um, terrain, you know, understanding elevations, understanding, you know, where, where these vehicles can go is important, but what, Bradley's and CB90s add and just simple fighting vehicles. If you just bring in heavy infantry fighters, they're they're lighter. They can they they're made to kind of traverse this type of uh, terrain. Um, they're they they can do a little bit better in certain areas than some of the really really heavy vehicles. Um, they're a little more mobile. They can move move a little. They're a little more nimble, uh, but they still can see a really long way. So the ability to position Bradley's where they're 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 in pretty, pretty decent cover, but in, in overwatch areas where they can engage with their multitude of weapons, whether it's your, your, uh, anti-tank, uh, uh, rock, your tow rockets, your different types of, uh, you know, 25 millimeter ammunition or your, you know, coaxial machine gun. Um, these can really help out, uh, especially, you know, the ability to create standoff because even the, the Russian tanks can't shoot that far. So if there is large open areas, a Bradley can engage the trench lines before the, the enemy can even come after you, um, which all of these vehicles have the optics to be able to do that. And that's the difference um, is really the ability to create that standoff and use your vehicle to engage the enemy before, you know, before they, they get to you. Thank you. Can I have another question? Of course you can. You're very welcome. Right. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> I'm sure that many of the questions which you and others have uh, resonate very much with the audience because not everybody has been doing what uh, Angry Ants and others have been doing. Well, he promised to teach me how to how to shoot, how to use the cannon. So. Um, which has hasn't happened yet, so <laughs> I, I need to do that. Um, so one of the things that he mentioned uh, in his thread, right, were some um, some types of of um, um, vehicles, right? So um, you mentioned penetration heavy support light heavy support or crossover which are the bradleys right heavy infantry light infantry and and mobile fire support um so when i went over to uh, mobile fire support um i saw the crabs with which i don't i'm not sure they are already in uh ukraine but i know we have discussed here uh, that they they will come, and I was wondering um, if if those paired with with the Bradleys, um, because you were talking about uh, um, positioning and and light and and using. Um, what's what's there um 
I was wondering if if they could be used together and if it's different when you when you pair, for example, a crab, then uh, with with a Bradley or two, I don't know. Then when when you do this with um, a tank, so are the maneuvers different, or is is it if you learn how to work together? Uh, you know, with a tank, you can do this with. Um, um... I I think I got your. I, I think I can answer your question if you if you let me go. If you let me try real quick. Um, so I think so. When 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 we pair when we put these vehicles together, that the 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 whether it's a the crab, which is the Soviet era the version of the uh, of self artillery. Uh, mobile mobile self artillery or the M109 or there's a few different uh, versions of kind of more of a basic um, mobile field field artillery gun. Um, one that you have to make sure that you you would have to create units of the same kind of ammunition. Um, and I know for for the for, for right now there's still going to be a need for some of the mobile guns of the, to use Soviet stuff. But um, when it comes to the U.S. and some of the other ones mainly the m109 uh it, it's the 155 round and it's, it's you know across nato um you would not see these vehicles running um driving down the street um in the front of a, a of a penetration fight um you would you would see these uh behind enemy lines being being assigned uh to the different units um and moving forward as they as the as kind of security happens around you don't want you you don't want these to be like we saw in the kharkiv offensive we saw you know artillery pieces being you know overrun you don't want to see that because you want to have them you know far enough behind uh, and the ability to to get out of dodge if they have to um we're not talking about the, sh- the the shooting and scooting just the scooting out of it so cj doesn't get upset um but you wouldn't see these things driving around you know with the with the bradleys and things like that what you would do is you would see them being assigned and and being part of those those, those maneuver elements. So, for instance, um, if uh, an infantry battalion that has nine uh, uh, artillery pieces is in control of say uh, four or a five square kilometer uh, city uh, a large town, uh, they're going to have a fire support base, um, or they're going to have a place that they're, they're you know as they engage that city. They're going to set up an area, the fire support area, um, somewhere behind the lines for that artillery to be able to use to support uh, those infantry soldiers directly. And why why you have those units kind of separated out, um, and I think that's one of the big changes you'll see in the new tactics, is that you won't see just independent artillery divisions and artillery brigades, except on the overall front line. In these maneuver units, you'll have you know batteries attached to uh, direct infantry units um, and direct or direct maneuver units so that you'll have the ability to, to call in close fire support at a very, very good way. You kind of see it. There's a bit of a lacking right now for that, uh, but the ability to have those uh, artillery pieces paired directly with those, that group of soldiers and that group of tanks and that group of infantry allows for them to directly support the very small area that they're trying to work in. Um, and then every unit across the board, across a large area, will have their own individual, you know, assigned guns 
to be able to directly support the maneuvers as they move forward over this large front. I hope, does that does that help? Yes, it does. Um, one more question. I promise I'm done. <laughs> so, you you mentioned uh, that that. Um, Basically, if I understood correctly, um, the fire support will will um, will stand behind, and they will um, cover just like a sniper. They will cover and protect what's happening, and and have better visibility of of what's happening in front of them. Basically, basically um, protecting um, um, the units that advance. Um, and, and I remember seeing something and this is why I ask. So CJ had the thread at some point, um, with about the M777, but it wasn't only about that, that they put a net over the, over the, um, um equipment in order to to catch to to not be hit by by uh drones and um, um loitering munition right um can this be used you know in order for them because if they are kind of fixed behind they are more vulnerable um so you have to um uh, cover them, including not to be so visible. Does it make sense? It it, it does. It does. And um, that's that's a so so uh, for a few things. Uh, 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 if we're talking about in the maneuver side of things, you know these you know these guns will not just be staying stagnant and still they'll be finding uh, the most concealed area, the most protected area they can to to set up their positions, mobile their positions as the front line uh, moves forward. Um, that key part of the combined arms maneuver is having those guns be able to move along with them um, and be able to continue to push the enemy's, uh, you know, lines of communications and supplies back um, and directly support the units. Um, when it comes to protecting them, there's, you know, there's a, lots of different ways that they're going to be, they're going to be worked to protect it. Um, there's a lot of anti-air assets that are going to be used in these uh, offensive maneuvers, uh, things like that. But basic things like chicken wire or different types of mesh are pretty uh, interesting things. But you wouldn't really think that they could stop a, a you know, a, a, a an advanced drone trying to. But sometimes they can. And I, you know, actually for any soldier who was in Iraq or Afghanistan. Um, we used to get shot with uh, RPGs a lot in our in our bases, and we would put large screens of chicken wire up um, all around where you know you you had exposed area and standing out a few feet uh, from the from from the front of the building. And what that would do is, when the RPG would hit it, it wouldn't explode most of the time, or if it exploded, it exploded far away from the building. Um, but many times, it would just simply catch it because uh, it didn't it, it didn't have enough impact into that wire or mesh to actually blow up. And I think that the, the, the land that the drones are being, uh, I don't, I, I think what's happening is that they, they, there's not enough impact to engage the, uh, the fuse, 
and also whatever the, the engine is being caught in those nets. But yes, you're going to be, as you maneuver forward, you're, you're setting up every single day. Uh, you're setting up uh, defensive positions. You're, you're ensuring that uh, the next le- level, of, you know, you're putting that uh, with, you know, your, your, your close security up every single day and you're, you're constantly moving forward. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, and uh, I, I mean, to be honest with you, it's a really good question and it's something that's really worrying um, the, the people who are developing doctrine for for the next big fight because... Although these loitering munitions like Lancet aren't particularly new, we've, we've seen them being used in, in theatres before. The, the, the genie's really out of the box with this. The only reason that we're not seeing lots and lots and lots of Lancets attacking um, artillery batteries or, or, or companies of tanks is because they don't really have them. Um, but they do work. And, of course, you, you can't drive around with, um, you know, chain netting up over the wagon 24-7 and setting it up it's a bit of a pain I mean you do put camouflage netting up if you if you you know you you got what you call go firm or or static for a little while but it's even more equipment to carry on on the track you know you've got to set it up and of course if you if you if you've got to bug out really quickly you just got to drive off uh, and leave it all behind because you don't have time to mess around so there's a lot of discussion going on about this it's probably going to go down the road uh, of active protection for vehicles. We've already got systems like, um, there, there are lots of systems out there like Trophy and Arena. So they, they've got a millimeter radar um, and you can either do lots of passive stuff. You can chuck smoke out that disrupts the optics on there or you can um, flash laser it. So blind any optical systems. Uh, or there are um, active protection, which actually involves firing projectiles at these things as they come in. The thing is, it's all weight, isn't it? Um, And you will need a lot of them to defend vehicles. Um, You you know, when when you think a Challenger 2 comes in about 74 tonnes up up armoured, now you're talking about putting lots more equipment on it. And, and there is a finite limit to how heavy vehicles can be. So it, it's something really bothering people. You, you might find directed energy weapons are going to be the way ahead with this, um, like a wide swathe microwave beam system that, that can take down multiple UAVs in one go. Probably not at this stage for a good few decades, an actual laser cannon on, on, on a tank, because obviously you need energy, don't you, to... To use a directed energy weapon, great, they're on board ships, and there are dedicated vehicles that, that the UK and America, etc., are looking at, but you need a power supply for them. They do work, they're fantastic, and you can flip between targets and zap, 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 but it's not something you can bolt onto a vehicle. So, yeah, it's, it's a massive problem. The, um, the, 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 the sort of strength and netting, stuff like that, is a really good idea. It does work. But it, it's not a perfect solution. And in the next conflict, we will see um, unmanned aerial vehicle swarms. Um, UK's already done it. They, they, they put multiple dozens of them, I think, in a forest and then um, 
they've, they've practiced coordinating these things to do different tasks, and that's the way this is going. So there is going to need to be a countermeasure for it. And I, I know a lot of money and a lot of big brains are looking into this, scratching their heads and saying, well, how do we defend a tank against something? Because we can't armor it all over. Um, and if someone drops a, an, you know, an armor-piercing weapon on, you, on your turret, chances are you, you're going to be in a lot of trouble. So we're just going to have to wait and see. Yeah, Gunny, I can't, I can't agree more. And, and I, I mean, I think wars always kind of advance technology just extremely quickly. And, and this is, I think that this will be, you know, the story out of this. Um, and, and you think about what some of you, what Ukraine's the tactics they're doing. There, there's stuff that's being trained with this combined arms in, in Germany. I guarantee I never saw in my life. I never even dreamed of uh, with the use of these drones and the ability to, 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 uh, put area suppression on an area um, so that you've got an area suppressed or you've got your enemy um, in, you know, not maneuvering that they're in static locations that they're either in trenches or dugouts, whatever. And, and if you can do that with, whether it's uh, with a, a area suppression weapon, like a, a heavy caliber machine gun cannon from a long distance and then fly drones with multiple, uh, you know, uh, mortars or, or 40 millimeter grenades or all these different you know things and, and now you've got fire suppression and then you literally pinpoint um close air support to, to be able to target you know all these all these different targets in a way that's never been seen on the battlefield before and um i, I think in the, in the close term air defense is going to be so key um, as, as getting as much air defense in as possible and, and pushing the enemy line back. Um, I'm not sure what the range on those lancets are. Um, but we did see one of the things that we didn't talk about was a, a large number of uh, uh, different types of uh, mobile air support that's coming in um, to include a lot of uh, Avenger systems, which are Humvees that have a, a 50 cal machine gun. Uh, and uh, Stinger rockets, uh, along with the, I think some basic radar that they that they use. It's it's pretty interesting piece of kit um, that uh, we saw a lot of them in the in the pat package coming from from the U.S. Which I think will be interesting to see how they how they act on the battlefield. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, it's just a case of that finite weight limit, isn't it? Um, and a, an active protection system, great. Well, you've got to stick it on top of the turret. So what do you do? You add, you know, maybe 60, 70, 80 centimetres to the height of the vehicle. And if you do that, then the vehicle's more um, more visible. And of course, you've got to armour it because you're going to be under um, artillery barrage a lot of the time or your active protective system might detonate an anti-tank missile 10 feet away. So you're going to get a lot of fragmentation coming in. So you've got to stick armor around this system. So now you've got the system, you've got the armor. That's all heavy. That brings up the upper weight limit for the tank. Therefore, you need better running gear. Then you need a better engine. The engine takes up room, so you need more armor. And it's just a, a continuous evolving thing. So I, I have seen, I think they did strike, was it striker? Uh, it's got a, a, a it's, it's got stingers. Um, a, a cannon and a, um, I think it's a 50 cal, something like that. But I think the big worry is if you've got 25, 35 UAVs coming at you, it's it, it's just not going to be sort of enough. So I, I, I don't know what the solution is. I know the British Army looked at um, an, an electronic field around vehicles. I think that, that still might be a form of investigation. 
So a means of generating a low level electrical field round so you can detonate um, RPGs, etc., at standoff distance. Um, but the problem with that is, got to have power. Power means a generator or batteries. Generator, batteries, take up room. Room means bigger hole, means more armor, means bigger engine, blah, 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 blah. It's, yeah, it will be really interesting to see. I don't think it's going to end tanks. Maybe, maybe the solution is a forward screen of counter UAV UAVs. So you've got a vehicle dedicated with 20 or 30 UAVs, and they're basically hunter-killer. Um, and if you've got a, a, a guidance system on that vehicle, um, send them after an incoming wave. It's just going to be incredible. It's just going to be incredible in the next twenty years, I think, mate. Isn't it? Yeah, it, it is. And I, unfortunately, I don't think that we're going to get to see too much of the, you know, the the real the, the new advancements in the countermeasures in this first 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 little bit of wave here in Ukraine. And when we think about the CV nineties and the uh, and and there's and of course there's two different counter. You know, there's there's still the, the countermeasures that for the longest time have been you know been being designed to to stop anti anti tank rockets uh, but now you've got this this drone technology in it and do they do are they do they work the exact same etc and it, it really is going to be this next generation of tanks i think that will and, and fighting vehicles that really bring this that, that they're you know pretty much this war is going to make there's going to be tanks and fighting vehicles designed from the from the from the from the wheel from the from the tracks up because of this war um and I, again, with the, with the drone, I really think it's going to have to be, you know, some sort of, a, a electro, some sort of a electronic warfare when, you know, even when we saw in, 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 a, in, in the Iraq conflict, uh, our Humvees, uh, the, the, and our, and our wheel vehicles, uh, we had, uh, different types of systems, electronic warfare systems that, uh, sent out a wave to, to stop, um, IEDs from being triggered. So, yeah. A lot of we found that you know, the, the real effective IEDs were triggered by remotely. Um, we would have, you know, these uh, war, the different electronic uh, warfare uh, domes on our on our vehicle staggered, so the, the entire convoy would be, you know, covered. And that's a very basic version of it. Where it's just going to have to start getting scaled up, and you know, then we have to start thinking about what's the effect of all that stuff on the soldiers that are in the vehicles and everything, you know. But uh, unfortunately, I don't think we're going to see that. In, you know, I think we'll start seeing some interesting. In the next six months, seen some interesting developments in in the basic counter UAV technology coming out. Um, I I do believe that gunning. It just won't be the the the. It'll be the start. The the you know step one. Don't you think? Gunny. He's obviously run away while you're talking to him. No, that's fine. Um, Anda, did you, did you have another question? I, I forgot if you had your hand up or not, or is it, if there's any other questions. You know, I always have other questions, but then and, and oh, oh, really quick, Anna, since we've been talking for a while, um, if you're listening to this space, please, you know, retweet it. Um, this is you know, this is something we do every every Saturday at at one o'clock. We we have a conversation about combined arms, different vehicles, and we try to have a more basic conversation. Sometimes it's a little more technical, but our goal is for, for the regular l listeners who, who weren't in the military, who, who kind of trying to understand what some of the experts are talking about to come up and ask questions. 
Um, just as simple as uh, what's a mortar versus what's an artillery piece, you know, um, as simple as that, uh, we're, I'm happy to kind of engage around that. Um, by no means my some, you know, expert, um, I, I, I've got a lot of real world knowledge, but I've also tried to learn as much as possible lately to try and help this space by just giving a basic understanding because we're all on here uh, together uh, because what we want to do is we want to work every day to try and support Ukraine. And that starts with knowledge. Uh, that starts with being able to arm ourselves with the information we need. And this space is a great one. So I want everybody to take uh, a moment to, to to retweet it. I'm an organizer, so I want to see it. I want to actually see the retweets. Um, right? And maybe I'll just start singing or something when I don't see them. But that that helps this 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 uh, space get gets reached by so many more people. And that means many more people who may be looking for answers can find the answers or many more people who need the answers can find the answers. Um, it, it's, it's incredibly important. Um, we are looking at, you know, one year of a, of a conflict uh, that uh, has came into a light that has been going on for, for a very long time that has been overlooked. And right now we need to do everything we can to, 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 to end this fight for once and all that. That means uh, Ukraine um, coming back to its real borders. Uh, Russia uh, leaving uh, unconditionally from all Ukrainian territory. And um, as you know, many people may, may say that they want peace and, 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 and all of that. And there will be people talking about that uh, this year. But uh, I'll kind of share a little bit of a motto. Um, my unit's motto was uh, let him let let and we, I change. I try to make it politically correct. I say, let them bear the palm who's won it. And uh, we took that palm from a, a unit that we destroyed, um, a, a Nazi unit. And that motto um, says that, you know, to, 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 to have the, the, the palm of peace, um, it has to be won. And, and right now, uh, the future of Ukraine, uh, you know, really, really weighs in the balance of on the shoulders of these soldiers, uh, men and women who are fighting to, to, to defend their country and, and the will of the, the global society that's willing to stand up for that nation and provide them with the tools to do the job that they need to do. And um, war is a horrible thing. Um, many of these vehicles we talk about will be destroyed. Um, many, of these, uh, many of these people who are being trained will die. Um, these are these are the realities of war and we're that. So please um, I just uh, retweet this. I'm going to have to uh, jump off here in about uh, 10 minutes. I've got a little work to prep for. Uh, I've got some big news coming out next week and maybe later today. Um, but with that, uh, I, I'm here to take a few more questions. But just please um, just remember that share this and continue to, to learn and educate yourself and share this knowledge. Don't just use this as a as a time to to listen about guns and, and stuff like that. Um, this is about arming yourself with, with this ammunition to, to counteract uh, the BS that you see on a daily basis online and, and with your community. Gunny, go ahead. Yeah, so do you think the Russians, we, we're seeing them, them commit tanks here and there, but nothing sort of really substantial, maybe a company, I think, um, maybe two at the most. Do you think they're resting and refitting most of their armour and um, trying to get to a stage where they've got the ability to counterattack? Because they, they know what's coming eventually. They, they've got to. So do you think they're, they're withholding most, most of, we'll say good stuff, most of what they think is good stuff 
and they're trying to reconstitute units that have just been gutted over the past year, and they're, they're preparing for what's coming. I, I truly think they already tried to do that, um, truthfully speaking. Um, and I think they know they need they knew they needed to do it because they know what's coming their way. And that's when they when you saw the last change of leadership. Um, and then you saw, you know, I mean, right now, Russia's losing a thousand people a day. Um, in the last two weeks, they've lost brigade size elements of modernized tanks, but some of their some of their best kit. Um, we've seen massive, you know, brigade size elements, battalion size companies being taken out at a time, um, all in, in certain areas. And when I really look at why, why I believe they already tried to kind of put that initiative um, and they tried to put the folks in is really when I look at Volodar and I looked at the way that there was the initial, you know, initial some of the initial actions, uh, the attempt to gain fire superiority, the, the you know, a smaller breakthrough unit, and then, you know, the way that the Russians were talking about uh, the, the the left flank, um, it really made me think that that was a large scale issue, the large scale movement. Um, and we saw that not only did the faint get destroyed, utterly destroyed, we saw that the largest, the larger part of it, the actual penetration force, in my opinion, got completely decimated also. So at the same time as that was going on, there was attempts up and down the line, and there still are. But for that week or two that that stuff was going on, we saw that the number of uh, fighting vehicles and tanks go way up, um, the, the amount of destroyed. Now, again, they're always going to be some kept in reserve. And I'm sure that they're trying to guess uh, where this is going to happen. And they're going to try and do that. You're, you're, you're completely correct about they're, they're going to try and do it. But I don't really believe they have the ability to at this point in time to do it. And I think that with the precision fires to, to fix the area that the Ukraine will be able to use and, and when they decide to unleash that, well, it just I wouldn't want to be a, a, a Russian tank crew in the next you know six months. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm just looking at this and um, it looks like, yeah, they killed a T-90M. Uh, southern Ukraine past 12 hours it looks, uh, just looking at the photo it looks like it looks like it took a javelin through the turret roof actually right next to the active protection system which is somewhat ironic Clear, clearly that does not work whatever we thought about uh, their active protection I don't think I've seen a single instance of it actually employed in, and, and destroying anti-tank guided weapons so yeah, I, I mean, if they're committing T90Ms, then it, it would stand to reason they've got to be going to guards units. So, yeah, they must be committing them, mustn't they? You know, that, that, Which they have very that, few that was a, Yeah, that was a VDV unit, and it was, you know, um, the good T7. Oh, I, I apologize, I, I forgot the exact variance. That was a few weeks ago, but it was good kit, and it was multiple different ways that, you know, we saw the famous kind of uh, running over uh, uh, landmines, but there was also, you know, other engagements, but the reality of it was they weren't able to get, when I talked about layered standoff earlier, they were not able to penetrate, you know, even the basic, you know, few layers of that, that initial standoff that Ukraine was able to create. And it was a Turkey shoot. So um, I'm, I, and I'm, and again, there was going to be places that Russia, Russia will be able to inflict damage. But again, if we look again at what, what has been happening over the last few months, they have been committing massive forces to 
gain back kilometers. Um, and that's not, you know, again, I, and I just don't see them being able to do much more than that. And, and they have to do it by, 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 by losing a thousand soldiers for every or every, every thousand meters that they gain. It, it's, they're going to continue to do it. And this new, this new equipment is going to, to help uh, make the casualty rate go up very, very quick. Thank you very much, Will. And uh, I think on that note, um, it's a good time to let you go. Um, and I'll welcome David as my co-host this evening. Welcome, David. Uh, uh, welcome. And uh, Will, it's been brilliant listening to you, by the way. Thanks, David. Good, good to see you, too. And uh, as I said, I've got to, I, I, I'll, I'll hang out, be quiet for a little while, let everybody get going. But if, if there's a straggler, if anybody wants a question, I'll, I'll be up. I got a couple more minutes. but. Um, as I said, it's always great being out here on Saturday. And, and just remember, um, make your calls to your representatives tomorrow or on, on Monday or, or in, in America on Tuesday. It's a holiday. Um, and, and just continue to do your part to, to continue to fight every day.